You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good afternoon, good morning, everyone. It's Across the Roomverse number 23, and we're coming after a very, very dull weekend. Don't really know what to say for it. We're, we're probably going to keep the uh, mentions of the Derby della Capitale to, to a minimum today, and it's going to be a short one with myself and Stephen, who's joined me today. Stephen, uh, how do you pick yourself up after a weekend like this? You said the, the intermatch was a, a one of silent fist pumping in your household. Was this more like uh, throwing plates against the wall? Yeah, so this one, funny enough, being on a Friday at 2.45 Eastern time, I was at work um, on Fridays. We don't have students in the school because of the hybrid model we're following. So I was in the classroom by myself watching on my cell phone. Thank God for technology. Um, And I watched the first half there. The second half, luckily, my wife and I carpooled to work. So she was driving. I was in the passenger seat for the majority of the second half. Uh, But none of it being pleasant, really. you know, Roma gave us really nothing to even get excited about, even in terms of chances. Um, so there was definitely some low volume cursing, we'll say, because I was in the school, so I couldn't, uh, you know, shout at the top of my lungs like I may at home. Um, but, you know, I'm just glad it was a few days ago, so I've gotten over it a bit by now. But, you know, very, very dismal performance. I was, I was very surprised to see how flat they were. Um, you know, we'll talk about the individual mistakes a little bit in our short recap, but you know, some shocking stuff, I think. I mean, wh- how did you feel after that match? I felt deflated. You know, I'm, I'm a big Fonseca fan, but even I, I felt like this, this top six thing is getting to me that, you know, being, a, where's the joy in being a fan if you know you can look around at your, you know, the fans of rival teams and they've got one over you every season. That, you, know, you, you feel like you're defeated before you get on mm-hmm. the pitch. It's, it's starting to feel that way now. You know, Lazio were in a funk before they met us. They were in bad form. And uh, we were heavily the favourites, you know, but we, we walked into this match as if we were the favourites. We didn't treat it with no seriousness. I keep saying we, uh, which is a bit arrogant. Uh, you know, Roma walked into this match looking like they felt like they didn't have to give it the all. And um, they, felt, they felt like they, they walked onto the pitch thinking they're the better team. And that's when you get spanked by your neighbours. And that's exactly what happened. So I felt deflated about it, really. Yeah, and, and it was funny because I had mentioned at the end of my uh, match preview when I had Jerry on here, who's a Lazio guy, and I mentioned, you know, I hope it's a tight game either way because, you know, you know, as much as, as fun as it is to win a match 3-0, it's, you know, not fun really to watch those 3-0s because they kind of get, you know, a little out of hand sometimes. And 
<laughs> I guess I spoke too soon because the three nil was not in our favor. At least it was in our favor. You know, it would be exciting to watch a three nil win, you know, even if it wasn't a tight match, but yeah. you know, I, it was bad. It was, it was really yeah. deflating. As you said, I mean, I went in with, you know, pretty good confidence considering we've been in pretty good form. We, we got that point late against Inter. I thought we were carrying some momentum and that Ibanez error on the first goal really just sent things spiraling downward. It was, it was very bad, very poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that now. Uh, we, we just encased you were somewhere else or you were abroad and you couldn't catch this match. And, and for some reason you want to, to find out about the highlights of a, of a free now loss against Lazio. <laughs> we'll let you know that this is the, this was the first ever Rome Dami played on a Friday, like Stephen mentioned. And uh, it unfortunately wasn't one that Roma made history for in any good way. It um, catched the, the strange nature of uh, this season being played in the middle of a pandemic, another first. But uh, with a win, Lazio knew that they could close the gap on Roma after being mired down in seventh place before last weekend. And Roma, on the other hand, knew that with a win themselves, they could finally prove they had the nerve to beat a top six rival. And we know that the former happened now. By the way, we're talking. We we know we've let it be known that Lazio won three 0 on the day. Uh, two individual Abania's mistakes were really the tail of the of the, of the match, the tail of the tape. Uh, one was very early in the first half. Well, both of them happened in the first half, but the first one was within the first twenty minutes, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. it was simply caught caught cold by by Lazzari down that right side. Um, he was we had all the time in the world to either clear the ball or swivel on it or pass it back to Paolo Lopez, pass it to a teammate, lay it off. But instead, he chose at the very last moment to see Lazzari behind him and uh, just slipped <laughs> slipped on the ball, lost yeah. possession of the box. Uh, let Lazio have a wide open chance to pass it into, I believe it was Immobile who finished it off. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then the second... Lazio going 2 up was down to Roger Banias again, just getting outpaced down that right flank. Really bad positioning. We're used to saying that about him, but this was you know, also not just him getting outdone position-wise, but getting outstrengthed, um, outfoxed. Uh, really, he looked like he... I read this morning that he looked like he, he was afraid that he'd fouled Lazzari, or was it Alberto? I can't remember who, who he was going one-on-one with. But uh, he looked like he was afraid that he'd fouled that Lazio player in the box. It, it was Lazzari. Lazzari, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they're, they're going shoulder to shoulder in the box and Lazzari goes down. Ibanez looks like he, he might be fearing that, you know, the penalty call is about to get whistled. So he doesn't really do anything. And he's and Lazzari's sort of trapping the ball almost with his arm, but in the end, it wasn't a handball. And Ibanez gives Lazzari enough time to actually get up back on his feet and pass the ball in the box and Lazio bury it 2-0. Um, from there yeah. on, it was a ma- and I was just going to say on that second goal, I think another thing that was a little bit deflating uh, just quickly was, you know, it went to VAR for a short time, but I thought there was a lot to look at besides the non-penalty. If the referee didn't think it was a penalty, um, mm-hmm. forget, I think it was Caicedo who was in Paul Lopez's line of vision offside position. And even the commentators here stateside thought it was a uh, irregular goal based on the fact that the referee didn't call a penalty. If his judgment was not, not a penalty, the, you know, graze of the hand wasn't enough to call a handball, I guess, because they it did seem like it kind of grazed Lazzari's hand. But then even the non-offside call. So I'm not I'm not going to you know put Roma's loss down to that or say that you know Lazio didn't deserve a goal there because Roma looked poor on the build up to that goal. But also something else just that got in Roma's way was the VAR really um, 
I guess not being utilized. Yeah, the non-call. Yeah, I I, I, I do remember on ESPN they reckon that it should have been chalked off for Calcedo's uh, standing in the in the middle of Paolo Lopez's vision. Um, it it yeah, if you were being really harsh on Paolo Lopez, you could say he he could have done better to get his his far side, but it really did look like Calcedo got in his way and Lopez just couldn't see a shot coming. Um, and uh, I've seen I've seen it said on the forums that in in the Premier League or in other leagues that would be chalked off immediately. Mm-hmm. Apparently instead they are. We're working by different standards, and we're used to that by now. Uh, yeah, so that was Lazio going two and up on the day, and it, it, yeah, that by then the, the match already had this mood of wow, Roma have a mountain to climb, and you know, but it would be lucky to even get a draw in the second half, let alone a win. Um, but you know, Lazio put that whole question mark to bed by really burying the, the knife in the second half, which uh, on a goal where I felt that. Roma's midfield were lacking, and it's one thing I've been very praiseworthy of uh, Brian Cristante lately. But I felt like this was the worst of Cristante back mm-hmm. again, where he's running back too late, and then he's running back forward again, once again too late when it's it's you know, just giving up the opponent the chance to make that through ball. And uh, yeah, but it's far from just Cristante's fault. It was really just the team were just deflated by that point, and yeah. uh, Lazio just finished it off. What did you? Um, what did you specifically make of Zadi's performance on the right flank, Stephen? What did, could you see this coming? He had a lot of memes on social media afterwards, some praise from Lazio fans, uh, calling him Forrest Gump for, for the way he was running down that right Yeah, flank. I mean, he, he was running nonstop like Forrest Gump. I, I thought he put in a great performance. I mean, I think as, as a side note to, you know, the Derby, being an Italy fan, this is an encouraging sign because I know the right flank for Italy hasn't been great lately. You know, if him and Spinazzola are in form, good news for Italy, but... Um, I know he hasn't been as good this season as he was last. This looked like a vintage Lazzari performance. This looks like the reason why Lazio snapped him up from Spal to begin with. And he was just a handful down that that right flank. Uh, gave Roma lots of issues. Um, matched up directly with Spinazzola. Um, and then, you know, Ibanya is on that side. And he made them both, you know, gave them both headaches. All, all match, uh, you know, man of the match cal- caliber performance from him. I mean, if Luis Alberto didn't score two of the goals um, that were you know, set up by, by him on, you know, he set up to himself. He probably is man of the match for Lazio, but you know, Alberto gets the two goals. So he gets the highest yeah. player rating, but you know, very strong performance, um, you know, and now with Roma losing this match, now Lazio is breathing down our necks too. So everything in the top seven or so is very tight. Um, yeah. I've, not, I've noticed in, really from first till 10th, there's, there's really not much in it. Yeah, no, there's not too. much. Even Sassuolo yeah. who's been struggling of late, you know, um, these teams are all right in the mix. The, yeah. be- the best thing that happened for Roma this weekend was the fact that Ad- Atalanta drew Genoa 0-0. Didn't expect mm-hmm. that to happen. So, you know, at least they're not falling too far behind these teams. But it's it's going to be tight, I think, second half yeah. of the season. Just like the first. As long as Roma continues to beat the teams they should beat. And then, like we've talked about many, many times on here, you know, probably to the point where people are getting tired of hearing it. it can they finally beat somebody who's in that top six, top seven range with them and start mm-hmm. to, you know have those six point swings in the table rather than pull out a draw and stay, stay even with that team that they play or lose ground it, to these teams. Is it, is it enough to beat the top, the, the teams that they should be? Did you think that that could carry a team to the top four by the end of the season? You know, clearly if they, if they win against Spezia, they're right in the mix, but we see the way the table's playing out that you're going to have to beat at least a couple teams, whether it's, even if it's like those seventh, eighth place type teams, like the Hellas's and the Sassuolo's, even yeah. Lazio right now, I think is seventh. Like, yeah, at least going to have to win a couple of those matches. I, I think just winning against from, you know, like ninth place on down, which is basically what they've done this year. 
uh, is not going to be enough. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's too many good teams. I know mathematically it's certainly possible. I guess as long as you draw enough of those matches against the top teams, you can't lose too many of them. Um, yeah. If anything, cause you, you don't want to lose the head tag. Yeah. The you don't want those six point swings. You don't want the tiebreakers being lost. So I guess in theory, if you could maybe draw five of those matches, like they did against the top eight, I guess like they did in the first go round, it's possible, but it's not ideal. It's, it's not the way, you know, you want to, be able to qualify for top four. I'd be very surprised if they don't, you know, find ways to win at least two or three of those games against teams they're directly in competition with to finish top four. I think Adelante has been playing better. You know, Lazio's starting to come on now. I, I think they're going to have more trouble. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprising myself because for years I wanted to support a Roma team that would win the matches they were expected to win, and I thought I'd be okay mm-hmm. if we came second best in a few head-to-head ones. But now. I'm feeling a lot more deflated about it being this yeah. way around than than before. Like for example, under Di Francesco, where you could you could look forward to maybe a giant killing once every season, but then you, you'd have to put up with you know tripping up against Kievo mm-hmm. on the weekend. Uh, this this for some reason this feels worse to me. I don't know why. And I think the thing that makes it a little feel worse or more deflating is the fact that the three matches they've lost on the pitch have all been heavy defeats to these teams. Adelante and Napoli both put up four goals in them. Lazio put up three. I think that's what hurts more. I think if, you know, they had lost 2-1 to Lazio, 3-2 to Atalanta, you know, Napoli beat them, you know, on Maradona's, you know, farewell kind of day, 2-0 or something where, you know, they were always going to maybe lose because Napoli had that extra motivation. You know, maybe it'd be a little easier to accept, but when when you're losing these matches so heavy, I yeah. think there's got to be some cause for concern because what's to say we won't do the same thing against Juve in a couple weeks because Juve is just a couple matches down the road again. Um, luckily for us, they're still not in the greatest form. So, you know, but we do have to go to Turin this time when we got that draw, it was at the Olympico in, in match week two. Um, you know, Milan, you might not be as fortunate or into, you may not be as fortunate to get those draws. So it, it, you know, until they start putting in better performances, it's, it's going to be very tough. I think to pull out top four. Mm. Well, there was we talked about fan reaction for Let's Dali yesterday, but it didn't end that on, on the Roma side of things. People were left with egg on their face. There was Ruggiero Ricitelli, the Roma TV commentator, and of course, former Roma player, he of the European Cup final, uh, in UEFA Cup final in the, in the 90s, uh, who went on to go play for Bayern and is now the regular club commentator in house. Uh, he had uh, you know, little shots to fire at Lazio last week and I myself said the same thing yeah I called Lazio a little club on this podcast and he said uh, Roma won't have to worry about their big big form their big team form because they're just facing a little club in Lazio after the game after the loss he had his uh, mobile phone number published on social media maybe by Lazio fans maybe by someone else who knows but he's uh, got his nose out of order about it today very disjointed uh, people are really coming at him for for the way that he, you know, built up the derby last week and ended up really having to eat his own words. Unfortunately, things go overboard sometimes. Again, with the Banias as well, he's been saying about mm-hmm. on social media today, uh, even insults against his his one month old baby infant child, and it's just you know we we don't we don't want to go ever that far. Um, you know, we we make our choice to watch these games, and if we don't like it, we always mm-hmm. have the choice to switch off. We're not victims to to our fanhood. But uh, that that aside, staying within that general pool box, even is it is there anyone on the Roma's team that you want to talk about? You want to you want to single out what's anyone that you feel particularly disappointed by? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You never want to go that far. I, I hate to see it taken to a personal level where where a player or their family is personally attacked for a poor performance. You know, 
Uh, just like we have bad days at work and whatever profession we're doing, you know, they have bad days at the office as well. Um, but it shouldn't be a personal thing. You know, they're, they're there for our entertainment. We support our club, you know, wholeheartedly. And unless they do something to shame the club off the pitch, I don't think those personal insults should be, be thrown at them for a poor performance on the pitch, especially a young player like Ibanez. Yes. He made some major mistakes in this match. Yeah. You know, in, in many ways cost us this match, especially when we went down to nothing to nothing on those mistakes, but you know, he's a young player. He's still got plenty of room to learn. That's not the way to, to get him to want to stay in Rome long-term, you know, by insulting yeah. him like that. Um, but still, still hasn't done a, hasn't done a full season in Serie A. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the one player I, I thought was almost invisible in this match was Jordan Vertu. I'm so used to seeing him all over the midfield, breaking up play, being involved in play. When he came off at halftime, I, I felt like I saw him maybe on the ball once or twice the whole first half. And I mean, you know, like I said, I was watching on my phone, so I didn't have a big screen in front of me watching every, you know, little passing movement close enough to see every play. But I, I yeah. thought he was he was very quiet, um, you know, to go outside. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because it, it does feed me to our last question on this issue and we'll move on. But I wanted to ask you, does this Roma team, do, do they lose, did they lose this game against Lazio specifically in midfield? And do, and do the Gellerossi know how to support one another in midfield? I ask because... Uh, we had a really good analysis from one of our foreign members of the weekend that I agree with where um, people say that Roma should switch formations or move to from move away from a back three back to a back four. But from what I see in the middle of the games, we barely ever play with a back three. You, you, you see either four at the back or two at the back. But either way, it's it's really down to the midfielders on whether it's VR uh, sitting back with the defenders and, and they're building up or looking to make the interception or whether he pushes up with Pellegrini and Vertu. Um, and they play a three, or whether um, Pellegrini that switches between being deep or moving, playing with the strikers or moving to the wing. So it really seems like a really fluid formation where we're, you know, we're not stuck to three, five, whatever at all. It's really mostly, it's quite a conventional formation that I think we're playing, and it's down to the fielders. But is, is, it, is it working? I mean, I'd be just beyond the context of just this one match, because right? it's not working when you lose, but we've been winning games. So uh, do, you, do you see comprehension in the midfield or do you see more chaos? Yeah, so in terms of the formation, I, I would like to see them stick with the the three four two one or 3-5-2, however you want to look at it, depending on how they you know move around the pitch. Because I think it suits Mancini and Ibanez very well. I think it suited Smalling since he's come over. And like you mentioned, Mancini and Ibanez are pushed up a lot. Um, you know, they very rarely have three defenders just sitting back in a conventional, you know, defensive like three man block with the wingers coming back and then having five back. So I don't I don't mind the three man defense, um, but the midfield, I thought, got overrun. I think I thought we had real issues breaking up the counterattack. Um, I don't know if VR was the right player to start in this match. I had I had hinted in the problem formations. I actually thought Cristante would start over VR just because of the threat of Lazio's midfield to overrun us with that the physicality of Milka Savage and Alberto's passing I thought and Cristante didn't play well when he came in I thought from the start he might have offered a, a better uh defensive presence next to Vertu to try to slow down that Lazio counterattack because they showed they are just as deadly as we were earlier in the season on the counterattack um yeah. and I thought I, I thought this was not the type of match for VR uh, personally, and I don't think he put in a great performance either. He still has a lot of defensive, um, you know, liabilities when he's there. So it overextends there too. And then, you know, when Pellegrini plays forward, he doesn't always track back as hard as 
um, like a Mkhitaryan and, you know, Pellegrini has put in some decent defensive performances when he's been in that um, double pivot in the midfield, but, you know, he's pushed higher up. So it puts a lot of pressure on Vertu, I think, and then puts pressure on the defense. So as much as the, the goals reflect on the defense, I think a lot of it has to fall on the midfield as well, because the defense was getting overrun with opportunities. You know, if Lazzari's one-on-one with Ibanez so often, as we saw in this match, he's going to have issues from time to time because Lazzari is very pacey. As good as Ibanez is, you know, with his pace, you know, you need more help even from the wingers. I mean, Spinazzola, where was Spinazzola on some of those plays too? So I think there was a, a whole bunch of people to blame. It was more of a team defense breakdown in a lot of ways. Yes, the Ibanez clearance was was egregious, which fell right to Immobile, but uh, I think the midfield ha- has to take a lot of blame. So given that you're saying that there's a, there is a problem in the field. You, I, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying the way you'd fix it is more more of a physical presence. I think against certain teams, I th- I thought this match, I felt like Cristante w- would have been better from a physical standpoint just because Milinkovic Savage is such a beast in the midfield. He's that yeah. big physical uh, player. Whereas against Inter, they have more def- diminutive midfielders. Even though Barella is a great player, Brozovic is a strong midfielder. Those guys are strong midfielders. They don't offer the same physical presence as a Milinkovic Savage. Where Vera, too, we saw was able to take a ball off Nicolo Barella as good as he is. Whereas Milinkovic Savage, he is, you know, there to win aerial duels. He's got a great shot. He he does it all. He's he's one of the best midfielders in Serie A. Um, so I thought that's why this wasn't a great match to start VR at this point in his career. Maybe a couple of years from now, when he's a little more schooled in the defensive workings and things like that. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe he fits better. But uh, tough match for him, I think, in terms of matching up. Fair enough. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Well, that's our post-mortem of the Derby defeat done and dusted. So if you're feeling particularly tortured by the segment, it's, it's done. It's over. Let's move on. Uh, for the second time in the club's history now, they will be looking to pick themselves up from the Dow, the Dow recent form with a face-off against Spezia. And as Bren wrote today in our match preview, uh, these are two clubs, Roma and Spezia, who've only faced each other once before this week. And that was in the Coppa Italia. And once again, five years later, it's going to come in the Coppa Italia again. Uh, 2015, Spezia will be, uh, you know, they'll find heart in the fact that they have a good history of beating Roma in cup competitions. They, they're one for one, 100%. They, they won that 215 Coppa disaster match uh, where Roma were limping under Rudy Garcia, who was a bit of a draw specialist in his time as a coach. Um, you know, that, that that was an era where Roma, you could neither be very frustrated that, that we were just outright losing because we weren't, but you could also be, you couldn't be happy that we weren't winning because we weren't either. We were just drawing matches all the time. And uh, we needed some impetus on that, 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 sorry, that cup day against Spezia and it never came. And instead we drew the, the first leg true to fashion um, and then drew the second. Then it went all the way down to penalties uh, with the two Bosnian players on the day Two star players, Marilyn Pjanic, remember when he was a Roma player? I do. And uh, Edin Dzeko, still the, the lone survivor of that team, is still in, in the club today. They both missed their penalties and Spezia won 4 2. Um, Stephen, do you see a repeat of that re- result happening or can, can Lightning, won't, it won't strike ties this time, surely? I mean, it, it could certainly happen, especially now that Spezia is in Serie A and, and doing fairly well in Serie A. You know, they were down a man um, for most of the match the other day and pulled out a, a draw. Um, mm. So they certainly aren't a walkover. They've actually performed better. I thought them and Crotone would 
for sure be pegged for relegation. I thought Benevento had a chance to stay up based on the squads they were carrying with them to Serie A, but Spezia is in a strong position to stay up with the struggles of some of those more noteworthy clubs like the Genoa's and the Fiorentina's and, you know, all those other clubs that are struggling. So it could certainly happen again, especially if Roma comes out flat. Um, So I think Roma has to be, you know, prepared mentally. That would be my biggest worry is that they come out flat because they're a little downtrodden after the Lazio loss and they come out flat and, you know, Spezia maybe finds a goal and then they find a way to hold Roma out. Um, I would still expect Roma to win. I expect a lot of turnover in the in the lineup, I think, from Fonseca. I think he's got to make five, six, seven changes from the, you know, the debacle that was Friday night. Just to first to rest players like Mkhitaryan and maybe Vertu, players like that, but also to get guys matches that haven't gotten a lot of matches, like the Meyeralls of the world. Um, this could be a match for Pedro to start finding his legs again. Um, oh, and then, hey, hey. Who do you see on the Roma bench that can that can really g up the team? You know, when 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 you're saying there's a risk of the team coming out flat, who who's a character on the bench that can really be like, look, come on, let's give it a go. Um, well, depending on who starts, I think you know we've seen Cristante be that vocal leader. I think he starts. I think yeah. Meyer all starts. I think Cristante's got to be the guy to fire them up because mm-hmm. um, he seems to have that leadership ability. I think Mancini's another. I think Mancini will almost certainly start being that he's on yellow card suspension when they play um, Spezia again on Sunday, uh, Saturday. Okay. So I think Ibanez goes to the bench in favor of Kambula. Um, Smalling, good chance he gets rested because he did have that uh, little discomfort prior to the Lazio match that he was a kind of a game time decision. But I think in terms of those guys to fire up the team and keep their heads right, I think would be like the Cristantes and the Mancinis of the world in terms of guys that will probably be on the pitch. Um, and then, you know, if he does go with a lot of turnover, then you probably have the weapons like Mkhitaryan, Pellegrini, um, Jekko, if you want to go to them off the bench, if, you know, they're in trouble like we saw in the Europa League a couple times. Yeah. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. But, hope not. Yeah. I think we've we've pretty much previewed this match as much as we can, both on if you want to check the article today on the Chiesa de Totti website, it's up and, and running since this morning. And now you've heard us in the podcast go through it. So I'm just going to give Stephen one last round of Spezia trivia uh, or nostalgia, shall we say. I'll go through the match ratings from that 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 faces match five years ago. We had uh, Morgan DeSantis in goal. We got a 5.5 in the morning out of 10. Uh, what did they say about DeSantis, he was. Uh, they said he played like a Buddhist. I don't. I don't know if that's a negative or a positive, but uh, apparently he had a passive game on that day. I don't. I probably they're right because I don't remember him doing anything particularly egregious yeah. or, or good. Um, of course, we know that. Where, where, if we ask where are they now, he's the, he's the director. Well, he's not officially the director of sport, but he does a lot to recruit players right now. Um, then the right back was Mike On. Where is he now? He just, actually just came back to City this this winter Mercato, I think, to play with his son on the same team in, in the, the Italian fourth league, the amateur league. So he's, he's actually back in Italy playing football at 39 years old. Uh, on that day, he got a three. <laughs> so um, they said, what did they say? He failed to intimidate his opponent and uh, basically intimidated the really suggesting that he was past it by that time in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who's the equivalent of, of Mike on today? I mean, he, he's, he was a respected player, uh, put in a good season with, with Roma. I mean, I guess that right now you're looking at that guy being closest to 
who's on that? It's probably closest to Spinazzola. I would have said Kolarov if he was here last. I was good. I was. That was the first name that came to my mind. If this was last year, I'd say Kolarov. Right now, maybe like a Fazio. Okay. He had those couple good years for us where he was very important, just like Mike Mike Cohen did, and now he's kind of past it. That's a good call. Yeah. So Fazio starts tomorrow. Just remember, Mike Cohen was savage five years ago. Get ready to get ready for Fazio to get some some beef. But um, then there's Leandro Castan and uh, Antonio Rudiger, what are centre-back pairings. They actually escaped with some decent ratings. Castan got six. Um, he apparently made a great goal-line clearance on Catalani at the time. And Rudiger got a 5.5, not the worst rating in the world. Um, apparently, he, again, also failed to be aggressive on that day, which doesn't sound like Rudiger at all. Um, as we know, Roma is bought for choice nowadays with centre-backs. So I, I don't know what's the modern equivalent of Castan and Rudiger. I, I guess for me, that would be Mancini and, I guess, Smalling. Really? Yeah, or either really? either Mancini or Ibanez and Smalling. One of the young center backs was Smalling, probably. Yeah, we don't know if we'll see Ibanez tomorrow. He's probably not in the mood to show up. But on, on the left wing was Emerson Palmieri, who got a four point five. But that that was back before he actually really blew up as a as a player and announced himself in the Serie A scene. He was yeah. still a a reserve back then, and people were wondering what he was even doing at the club. Uh, they call him the they called them the X-Files signing. That is a, myster- is a mystery about why he was even playing in Rome. I'm not sure how things change. Isn't it? I mean, he's, yeah. he's not doing too well today, but uh, he did have that one season where everyone wanted him to stay. And uh, yeah, just shows that you can be in and out of fashion in Rome in an instant. Yeah, I feel like he's been wasted a little bit at Chelsea. He's fallen out of favor. I wish he left sooner. Um, I guess he would be like our Calafiori because he was the newer signing at this point and Digne, who replaced him, maybe is more the Spinazzola, the regular starter, I guess, yeah. if we're making those comparisons. Yeah, he, I see the yeah the Calafiori. It's, it's the same role, definitely. Yeah. Is he still at Chelsea, Emerson? Yeah, as far as I know, he's still there and mostly rides the pine outside of like a an odd cup appearance or so, I think. Yeah. Here's a good one for you. Who is the modern-day equivalent of William Van Kerr? We call oh. him Billy Vancouver on the forum. He, he played that day as a starter, um, barely ever made an impact in Rome. But th- I have to say, I never saw Vanka put a foot wrong. I, I thought he, he put in some muscle in the field. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's the modern-day uh, Cristante. Yeah, I, and I think Cristante is even more uh, prolific than him because Vanker wasn't even here that long. He didn't play that much, never like did anything too notable, I guess. So. And then Ukchan was the other starter in the midfield, the Turk, who kind of came and went very quickly. Um, I guess if if he was still there this year, I would say Mert Satine, just based on like uh, not position, (laughs) but like personality and how quickly they came and went. But I guess he's almost like maybe like Diawara. I think Diawara is more quality, but based on the role on the team. That's very, that's very true. Yeah. He's he's there in the background, but no Mm -hmm. one really knows what's going on with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, Pjanic was the the advanced regista of the day, which uh, I'm going to call him the Lorenzo Pellegrini. Of, yeah, got to be Pellegrini. Yeah, and then there was up front the trio of Juan Aturbe, Edin Dzeko, and Mohamed Salah. Who who could fill in for Salah? And well, this was before Salah really. Oh, it's kind of before he blew up. Yeah. Um, I, who could fill in for Salah and Aturbe today? I'm guessing Mkhitaryan and probably Carlos Perez based on our current roster makeup. Uh, I was thinking Perez as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Jacko is Jacko. Jacko is Jacko. Just five years yeah. older. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a special game. It's 
tomorrow is Tuesday uh, evening or morning time in America, I guess. What, what time is it in East East Coast? Um, what time is it in Europe over there? The it's, match uh, should be like seven or so. It'd be around two. In the probably yeah, probably a two forty five start or a two thirty start. They usually yeah. do those matches. Yeah, if you guys fancy some copper action, don't miss it tomorrow. Um, we're gonna keep on the copper memory lane today by going back in in history a little bit and uh well we, you know we're going to give ourselves reasons of why we should get excited about cup games because there's obviously always some debate about whether the cup even means anything if it even should be played anymore uh i should remind people that there is actually a, a i believe it's a 10 million euro prize um at the end of uh for winning the copper italian nowadays it's not not just the prize money itself but if you in, include all the tv tv money and the competition money that you built up by getting to the final it comes between somewhere between 10 and 16 million. Um, that's not, you know, it's not an insignificant amount for a club like Roma. So it could be worth it trying to make a run to the final. And uh, if anything, it could be worth it trying to finally get that fated silver. Was it silver or is it gold staff winning 10 cups? I think it's silver. I, th- I think it's silver. And regardless, yeah. whatever color the star is, Roma needs a trophy, I think, more <laughs> than anything. So even if the, the Coppa Italia is less prestigious than a Scudetto, Champions League, Europa League, debatable. I think just winning something would be so big for the club. Um, yeah, and I think this year more than any, it's 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 usually wide open for the bigger clubs. But I think this year more than any might be wide open because of the fatigue factor and teams playing on all these different fronts might not take it so seriously. We've seen, you know, we saw Spal beat Sassuolo last week, which, you know, Sassuolo's not a big club, but compared to Spal right now, they're certainly... A bigger yeah. club so it's worth a shot that's for a, sure that's a good point yeah well roma are stuck on nine cup wins in their history that they they were set to be for a long time a long long time in the last decade maybe the first italian club to win 10 of these things but uh we saw eventually juve overtook them and juve are now on 13 wins roma in the second place with nine wins uh we've also had the the ignomy of lazio winning a couple of coppers this, this, mm-hmm. in the last recent years so it's you know it's really like Stephen says it's really time for us to to really become get back in fashion in this competition because we are the nine time, times winners we have a, a proud history our first win was in 1964 uh, that was a time when it was a time of the Grand Torino era where before before that that unfortunate airplane crash where Torino were favourites in the league uh, Roma also were favourites in the league so it was you know the north versus south but at this time not Juve the, the other side of Turin. And Roma actually got a, they got a, they got one up on Torino in that that final where they they won. Uh, I remember that was the year where Amadeo Amadei was uh, at first suspended for life because he was suspected of um, assaulting a referee in that competition. But eventually he was proven innocent. It was that he was actually covering for a teammate. Um, the president at the time was Marino Di, Marino Di, Di Tina, who led the club to bankruptcy in the next few years. It was a very much the swinging 60s for, for Roma, winning cups and, and losing bank accounts. Um, in 1969 came the second cup victory, where Ro- it was the Roma of Helenio Herrera, and they badly, badly needed a trophy because uh, aside from Fabio Capello, I don't think there's been a coach in Roma's history that's had more money spent at his whim in terms of building a tro- trying to build trophy-winning sides. Helenio Herrera came down from the Grande Inter of the 60s, who won champions league trophies under his his stewardship and he was promising to bring the same success to roma instead he brought nothing but tragedy but that 69 cup win was a moment of uh, levity for that era 
and uh, Rumble would have to wait a further 11 years before winning again in 1980. And I, I like that team. I'm not going to pretend like I was there at the time. I wasn't even born. But uh, I've read about that team. I really like it. It was Niels Lidholm's second spell in charge on the Roma bench. He came back down from AC Milan once again. He brought uh, Sergio Santarini with him, the centre-back. And Santarini was really on his last legs. He was sort of like a Spanish Fazio at the time. Um, I, I know a lot about Santorini because I lived in Rimini at the time when he became the chairman of the Rimini Football Club in 2016. Um, I, I never forgot that, even though he obviously doesn't know me, we never met, but uh, yeah, I read a, a lot about him. Um, he was on his last legs like Fazio back then, but he delivered, he led that defence to a 1980 Cup victory before Liedholm, his best buddy, told him, you're done and I'm cutting you for the team next year, unfortunately. So... 81 comes around and Roma win the, the cup for a second time in a row, two years in succession, but no Santorini at defense this time. Um, I can't remember much about that year. Again, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But I, when I say I can't remember much, I just can't remember much about reading about it. Um, but that was, you know, coming into the 80s where it was really Roma building the greatest Roma team that, that ever existed in terms of continuous success. They, they won in 80, 81. They almost won the league in 81, um, just missing at the last instant. They, they then won the league eventually a few years later. And in 84, as the reigning champions of Italy, they once again won the Coppa, the Coppa Italia that year, uh, where they almost did the treble. They uh, missed out in the league. They missed out successfully defending the league at the end of 84, in the summer of 84. They made the Champions League final, hosted in Rome, lost on penalties to Liverpool. But they did win the Coppa Italia that year. Uh, that was the... One, two, three, four, five. That was the fifth success in the club's history. And then again, they didn't have to wait long in the 80s for Sven Joran Eriksson to deliver the sixth cup trophy in 86. Um, you know, Eriksson had a history of building teams that were very, very defensive minded. So it's no, no surprise whatsoever that he built a successful cup winning Roma side, even though the rest of his time in, in, in at least in this half of Rome was. Uh, Epic failure, really. There's climb down from Elam success, but uh, he went on to do very well at Lazio later on. Um, and then finally, the 1991 Cup of Victory came uh, when Roma were threatening to win the UEFA Cup as well. Um, I don't remember, I don't know much about that team whatsoever, the early 90s team. I, I remember that, that that was a time when the club was in turnaround. And uh, aside from Rudy Voller being there and at first being treated like he was a, you know, a, injured has been when he arrived at the club and eventually become a club legend. Uh, there really wasn't much continuity to the team. We, we say that we're victims of FAP nowadays, but in the early 90s, in fact, throughout the whole of the 90s, the Roma were buying and selling players like nobody's business. So I don't know much about the 91 Copa victory, but that made for cup win number seven. And finally, I'm done talking. I'm going to hand it over to Stephen for the, for the next two cup victories because Roma had to wait 16 years it was called the Copper Curse of Roma at that time. They had to wait from 1991 to 2007 for finally tasting Copper Glory again. But my God, didn't they do it in style? Uh, 6-2 in the first leg of that Copper final against Inter, the, 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 the strongest team in the land at that time by far, and uh, winning 8-3 on aggregate. Stephen, what are your memories of that? I know, I know you said you, you actually you were staying in Italy at the time. So how, how good did it feel? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, I, I started following Roma in the mid-2000s. So this was right toward the beginning of the time I started following Serie A and, and really becoming a Roma fan. And I remember just despising Inter at the time because they were the, the <laughs> Juve of the day where they were the big boys. Yeah. You know, it was right after Calciopoli. So it was, 
you know, Roma was the bridesmaid to enter in those years rather than Juve, like we've seen a couple times in the past decade. Um, and I just remember watching that first leg of the final. I was, uh, you know, uh, study abroad, uh, living in Siena with a host family. And I was watching that one afternoon or evening. Um, I think it was an afternoon match, actually, late afternoon. And watching it in their living room and just watching Roma put six past the, you know, champions of Italy, the strongest mm. team in the land by far was really something else. I mean, I was somewhat in shock as excited as I was. I was like, wow, did, did we really just put six past Inter? And the second leg was a no doubter because even though they lost two, one, who cared? Yeah. They lifted the trophy eight, three on aggregate. And it was especially sweet because that was the same year they were in the champions league and got absolutely hammered by United seven, one, uh, a little earlier in my study abroad. Um, I remember them both vividly. Yeah. Roma was in the yeah, Champions yeah, league and that was yeah. the beat down at old Trafford. So yeah. just about a month or so later, it was a, a nice way to end my yeah, study abroad. Not that I was, not that I was in Rome to celebrate it with Roma fans, but just to watch it on Italian TV and see it live, which at state side at the time probably would have been difficult uh certainly a good feeling um were, were you already completely convinced as a, as a roma fan by like you were you, were you yes that's your team okay. by that so by that season it was right around the world cup year maybe the, the year before where i started getting into it and by 2006-7 season i was fully ingrained uh i remember picking up my first roma jersey during that study abroad i got a, a, a authentic toti jersey which uh yeah still one of my favorites and i was it must have been a diodora kit that did it right yes it was the diodora kit with like those goldish numbers in the back yeah Um, that was beautiful yeah and then you know following it up the next season with the the two nothing win the one-off final at the olympico another nice way to win in it at that point it looked like win win number nine 2008 is what we're talking about yeah and that you know those spalletti years actually brought us some silverware and it looked like we would continue into the future winning a couple more but of course we had that uh, awful loss to Lazio in the Copa final, which is one of the most disappointing mm. matches in my time as a Roma fan, just because of who we lost to and in the c- circumstances. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it feels like it's been so long because for a team that's won nine times to now be going on, what are we going on? That was it's 2008, like 13, 13 years. 13, 14 years yeah. yeah, we're almost pushing that 16 year window again. Would be nice to get yeah. a 10th soon. Um, yeah. yeah, when you become a fan of a team and they hadn't won a Scudetto early on in my time as a fan, but they did win the two Copas. It felt like, you know, they were a team that would win a trophy from time to time, but boy, I got duped, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, think we all, I think we all did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I did, I did actually get to support Roma and watch them win a league title in 2001. So I, I did. Yeah. I, I got duped in a different way. I felt like yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was, I was cashing in on the biggest team in the land. And it, yeah. again, it wasn't, never came to reality, but uh, yeah, I'm, I am fairly critical of Spalletti nowadays, but I have to give it to him. He is the, the last, the most recent Roma manager to, to deliver Roma to so, some success, some silverware, and uh, he did it in style. I, I'll, I'll never talk down that that first spell of him as in charge because we were playing some champagne football back then yeah. and uh, really knew how to play around players. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, we've pretty much built ourselves up for tomorrow. Um, is there anything you want to mention in terms of CDT this coming week? Do you have anything in the can in mind? Or No, I mean, we have a regular match day coverage, the preview stuff, the post-match centers and saints. I know you have a new um, piece you're running, yes. right? A weekly we're piece? Re- resurrecting Totti today, yeah. Um, we don't know what day we're going to do it yet, but uh, it will be a, a weekly uh, catch-all piece. Um, I'm, I won't be able to write in the same style as Jonas. No, no one could imitate the unique style of Jonas, but... Uh, 
I just felt like writing something that is related to Roma and related to football. But if I go outside the boundaries of it and cover the, the news in Italy that week, that maybe that will be, uh, you know, expanding the expanding our taste on the forum a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think Jimmy's going to have a weekly uh, review of all things Roma as well. Um, so those yeah. are a couple of new all, pieces all, to look forward to. All things Serie A is what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. 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 So yeah, but there's a lot of, um, some we're changing the makeup of the of the site this year for 2021 and we'll see how it goes but um yeah for myself and steven uh, as you know already this podcast is available on all the major networks spotify apple google you name it and if we're not on somewhere let us know on twitter on the site and we'll get on there as well um i'm looking forward to tomorrow because i've got no choice i mean i just want to move on from this latio chapter as soon as possible uh steven if there's anything else you want to say do now no i just hope that roma bounces back tomorrow um and you know picks up the good form that they left off a couple weeks ago and turns it around with these back-to-backs against betsy both in the cup and in the league and we can start to see some positives going forward yeah i think we're all united in that sentiment so we'll say no more and we'll sign up for now stay tuned and yeah hopefully a couple win tomorrow <laughs>